From the studios of Fox 5 DC in Washington, DC, this is the On the Hill podcast. Tom Fitzgerald along with you. We welcome you in. Christopher Metzler is an author. He is currently back in the bookstores with Divided We Stand, the quest for America's soul. It is a look at our national political discourse and uh, the way back to find uh, America's soul. Christopher Metzler, we welcome you on the hill. My pleasure. How are you? Uh, great. And this book gets to, I think, what a lot of people talk about these yes. days, which is how did we get to this point where mm -hmm. everybody kind of seems like they're at each other's throats all the time? Why did you want to write this? Well, there for me, it's been, I've been researching this for quite a while. And with the election of President Trump in particular, I wanted to really bring forth uh, a lot of the issues that were coming up because what I heard once the president was elected was that in fact he would divide the country and that division was his uh, responsibility and his blame which is simply inaccurate so I really wanted to get the facts out there I do it from a conservative perspective because I am a conservative mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, what it also does is it's an educational book so it goes back gives people the facts, they decide for themselves uh, whether or not they accept it, because I think that's the way we should be doing things. So one of the things you kind of look at here is that this didn't start with Donald Trump. No, absolutely um, you know, not. A lot of people kind of say it started with the Clintons. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I absolutely agree that it started with the Clintons. If we look at kind of uh, the, this whole play, politics of personal destruction, uh, particularly in the Clinton administration. If we look at the scandals, the travel gate, you know, all of this stuff that really, from the perspective of America, started to just divide the country. And people were saying, wait a minute, what about us ordinary Americans? Here you are coming from Arkansas, you're in the White House, and all of a sudden it is a celebrity playground. And that's when people just, and, and in addition to that, if you look at how far left so many of the courts have become. See, here's the thing, from a constitutional perspective, courts are supposed to interpret law, not make law. But mm -hmm. what has happened with the courts, and I think it, it, that it goes way back to the Warren Court, um, but what's happened with the courts is in fact they're making law and people are just sick and tired of that. What was it about the Clintons that when conservatives entered the fray with, with the Clintons that, that, that things changed? There have been Democrats in the White House before. Yes. There had been Southern Democrats yeah. in, in, you know, right before. Jimmy Carter was yeah. a Democrat out of Georgia. What was it about the Clintons that the conservative movement reacted so strongly to? Well, there was the whole arrogance. I mean, it just simply was we start off with um, Hillary Clinton's comments well surely they don't think I'm just gonna sit around here and bake cookies um, starting off with those comments well wasn't she right about that well she, she was, didn't she, yeah. she sure didn't <laughs> but um, from starting off there people just said whoa, 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 whoa you know wait a minute um, and then when you started getting into who they appointed to the courts when you started getting into all of their connections when you had the whole, you know, thing where the records uh, do <laughs> ended up um, somehow mysteriously 
in the White House. It wasn't just the politics <clears throat> that changed, though, during the Clinton years. No. The media changed as well, too. The media changed as well. And in fact, I think with the media, the media, um, in my uh, experience, really, with the Clintons, took a more cozy relationship, I think, with the Clintons than they should have taken. Um, and so not only media, celebrities, they, you know, it, it, it was the mix of politics and celebrities. And, you know, when we're talking about the average American, that was simply not a good look. When you go through this book and you talk about um, what you saw as this left turn in politics, uh, especially in the courts. Yeah. Um, did that set the stage really for what we see now, which, you know, you, you look at the conservative reaction to the Clinton mm -hmm. presidency, mm -hmm. you see a, a very over-the-top Democratic reaction right. to the Trump presidency. Right, and so that's, that's essentially what, 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 what you're having. Um, and a number of people are saying uh, that the courts are becoming too conservative. Um, well, what we heard is <laughs> that the courts were becoming too liberal. And so there is kind of, um, and, and particularly if you are an originalist like me, I believe in an original interpretation of the Constitution. Um, if you're an originalist, you really want the justices, the judges, to simply look at what the plain meaning of the statutes are. Mm -hmm. And people have become so irritated with the fact that they are not doing that in large part. I was going to wait till later to get into this, but sure. let's get into it now since you brought up uh, originalists and constitution. As we sit here right now, there are more than a dozen state attorney generals in this country that have filed suit against President Trump's emergency mm -hmm. declaration. Um, the Speaker of the House is moving legislation through yes. the Congress right now to upend the president's declaration. I have spoken to a number of conservative Republicans who have concerns for constitutional reasons about what the president has done. Mm -hmm. Not that they don't agree with him on the issue of uh, cracking down on illegal immigration, but what this does to the Constitution in regards to the pre powers of the presidency. Article one body mm -hmm. is the Congress. The Article two party is the presidency. Sure, funding and appropriations are supposed to go through the Congress. As a conservative, what are your thoughts about the president's emergency declaration? Well, for, for me, it really isn't a constitutional question as much as it is a political question. Let me tell you what I mean. Mm -hmm. The concern with a number of people is, if this goes through. What will happen is a Democrat gets in office and says, for example, I declare uh, an emergency on guns. Mm -hmm. Of course, that would be hard given the sec Second Amendment, but um, there would be that. That's the concern. So I think people ought to say what the issue really is. It is a political issue. And frankly, from the standpoint of the president, had Congress all this time been more active in checking any presidential power, we wouldn't be here because legally he has the right to declare the emergency. So what, what we've got is a mix between so-called constitutionalism mm -hmm. and politics. Well, it's a ruse because this is a political question, which is the other issue too. When the courts take this up, 
you know, what all of the folks are saying it's unconstitutional. I Okay, I think what the courts are going to say, you know what, guys, this is a political question. Congress, you and the president work it out. We're not going to touch political questions. Well, that is kind of the role of the judiciary, though, to settle these questions between the legislative and the executive branch. Well, though, except it? if it is, there is this doctrine of doctrine of political questions. So, mm-hmm. if this is seen as purely a political ploy, then the courts are going to say we don't want to get involved in that. That becomes the question. And as to the Speaker of the House and the resolution she's entered, mm-hmm. he, you know, it's. It's politics, and here is what the politics are. The politics are she wants to get all the Republicans on record to vote or not vote. So it is, it is simply politics because she knows if it passes, the president's going to veto it. As we sit here now at the end of February, uh, we are wrapping up a Black History Month, mm-hmm. which I can't quite remember <laughs> Uh, one where probably more actively the issues of politics and race were on the front page and front burner every day this month. This wasn't a Black History Month of reading about Frederick Douglass and Rosa Parks, no matter how important they are, and they are important. This was a daily examination of where we are. And I'll start at the beginning of the month with with Ralph Northam, Mm -hmm. governor of Virginia, obviously, uh, the story broke that there was this uh, uh, racist picture on his yearbook page. Sure. Northam came out at first, apologized for it. Yeah. Shot a video apologizing for it, said that he was in the picture, and then the next day came out and said that it wasn't him. He says he's going to stay in office. Um, wh- what has this month said to you about what progress we've made and how we discuss race or how really far away we are from being where we need to be. Well, I, I, th- for me, <laughs> this was, you know, I posted, I uh, did a tweet that w- I was, you know, <laughs> roundly criticized for that said, happy Black History Month, folks. Um, and Why then criticize for it? <laughs> yeah, and then really refer to all of the things that happened. But why would you be criticized for it? It seems to me that that, that actually kind of the hammer hit in the uh, nail. Well, it, it is, but a lot of people said to me, there is that conservative bent. What are you talking about? I mean, this has been, as you've said, this shows how unsophisticated we are as a country in dealing with the issue of politics and race. Now, if you look at the governor of Virginia, here's the thing. The problem wasn't, um, so he comes out, he apologizes, and then he said it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. That's really, that was really the problem. But look, when we start talking about, I completely agree that folks should not be in blackface. I agree with that. However, we have to look at this in context like we do you know, so if we say every politician who's ever been in blackface, you are disqualified from running for office, we're not going to have very many. That's number one. Given the time, at that time, that was readily acceptable. He should have talked about the fact that this is the context. And I was just, when he was going to do the moonwalk, that... <laughs> well, thank God, you know, thank God for his wife. Ed O'Keefe from CBS had he, asked him if he could still do it. Yeah. And Northam took a beat there and looked like he was about to do it until he... His got, wife said, no, not got, appropriate. She, yeah, he got laser beamed, uh, as we <laughs> yeah. call it, by uh, the First Lady of Virginia. Yeah. 
at the same time, while the Northam story is going on, the lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax, uh, who's the first African-American lieutenant governor in the Commonwealth's history, has these two allegations of sexual assault that come out against him. There are calls for Northam's resignation that are still on the table Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. He remains in office. There have been calls for Justin Fairfax to resign from office. He says he is going to fight these allegations. Um, But again, going back to this issue of race in politics, it seems now as we wrap up this month that the pressure on Ralph Northam seems to have eased somewhat. And it has not on Justin Fairfax. Right. So are we now saying that questions of race become outweighed by questions of sexuality or sexual assault? Well, so here's the thing in Virginia. The, 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 the problem with the lieutenant governor is he, in fact, it, it, was, a cr- it was a question of crisis management. Mm-hmm. And the governor of Virginia got all the constituents behind him, including several members of the black community who say we stand with Ralph. Now, you then have a Fairfax who, um, well, the story isn't true. He is yet to do any kind of a sit-down interview, which then says, are you not comfortable with the facts? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and, and for conservatives, here's the thing that we see with this. We go back to Justice Kavanaugh. Well, and that, that, that's yes. the next place where I'm going with this. Yes. Is for years, the Democratic Party has put itself out as you know, the party of African-Americans. Right. And have actively you know, sought and received, in large part, the African-American vote. Here we have instances of two top leaders. Yeah. Um, really kind of laying these issues bare. Mm-hmm. And is there an opening here for conservatives to point out fairly that maybe some of the things that are being said from that side of the aisle right. do not square up with their personal actions? Yeah, absolutely. And I've been pointing that out for quite a while. Um, the, the Democratic Party, the issue with the Demo- Democratic uh, Party and blacks in America is the fact that the Democrats have won in large part by pandering uh, to blacks. That's how Democrats have been able to keep control. They have, in fact, said, look at how great we are. Look at all the things that we've done for you. But from an economic standpoint, even with the presidency of uh, Barack Obama, you don't see the kind of unemployment numbers that you now see. Well, I can remember the day Barack Obama got inaugurated yeah. and being on the National Mall and seeing people legitimately and, and honestly crying Yeah, because it was something they never thought they were going to see uh-huh. in their lives. And there was. You know, people mocked oh, that course. hope poster, but I saw it with my own eyes. People weeping at the sight of the yeah. first Amer- African-American president taking the oath of office. But the reality kind of showed, though, the limit of the power of the, the presidency. Yeah. So is that lesson driven home harder now with the knowledge that you just did go through eight terms of our first African-American president? And that did not maybe dramatically change people's lives in maybe the way they thought it. 
Yeah, I think you're you're you're, you're right. But you know, there was a lot of chatter in the black community when Obama was in office. And the question was, what is he really doing? But then what you had is you had a number of black leaders who would say, but you cannot criticize him publicly for not doing that. Nonsense. Uh, but that, again, is the democratic response on issues of race. But there, you know, early on in the Obama administration, I can remember being in the East Room the night that he said the arrest of Dr. Henry Louis Gates was stupid. Yeah. And there was this enormous reaction from conservatives and Republicans saying, how can you say that? You're anti-police. That's a horrible thing to say about the police. And then obviously later they had to have the beer summit yeah. where the officer and Dr. Gates came yeah. to the White House. You know, they, they, they had a beer. W was that a moment early on in the Obama administration that maybe pulled Barack Obama back from, from being a louder voice in some of these things? Well, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, first of all, with Dr. Gates, if anybody knew who Dr. Gates um, is, that behavior, and, and to me, I was stunned that he even said anything about it without knowing the facts. And, you know, he knows how Dr. Gates uh, behaves in his community and otherwise. So, you know, it, I, I don't think that what Obama should have done is set in place economic policies that benefits all. He didn't have to set in place black policies. Um, and so you had a lot of people then who were saying, well, you know, he's not doing this for blacks. He's not. Well, he's the president of the United States. Let's fast forward to 2019. We've spent the last couple of weeks um, embroiled in a uh, controversy that was part entertainment news <laughs> yeah. and then part statement on where we are with you know, civil rights and our political discourse right now, the Jesse Smollett case. Yeah. Actor uh, on the Empire show so mm -hmm. claimed that he was uh, the victim of an attack by two people wearing MAGA hats and who put a noose around him yeah. and uh, sprayed him with chemicals. He has now been charged uh, with a crime yes. by Chicago police for falling, filing a false report allegedly that he had hired these two brothers mm -hmm. to uh, commit this stunt, as we could now call sure. it. What was your take on how quickly people were ready to believe that story? The president himself initially had called it, you know, a horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things there. First of all, when this story first came out, it made no sense. So in minus whatever degree weather in Chicago, um, two guys are going to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning wearing MAGA hats, yelling, that's just ridiculous. Not exactly MAGA country. No, <laughs> exactly. Downtown Chicago. Right, and the area in which um, he lives in Chicago is a very uh, uh, mostly affluent uh a, l a number of blacks, a number of gays. So that whole thing made no sense. So here you are, the star of empire. You're going to Subway to get a sandwich at 3 o'clock in the morning, although you live in this fantastic apartment. The whole thing made mm -hmm. did not make sense. And I think, so then you had uh, Kamala um, Harris, who now says, who said at the very beginning, um, this is a modern-day lynching. She said that in part because she had introduced a lin anti-lynching bill. So that's number one. And for me, she used to be a prosecutor. Do you not believe in getting the facts before? You don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. 
And so you had all of these people with this pylon really, you know, uh, happy to defend him. And then it turned out that it wasn't. And by the way, this is not the first time he has filed a false police report. And so for me, the, this entire stunt is just ridiculous. But what it shows us is, in fact, uh, we want to get to this kind of overly hypersensitive political discussion of the intersection between sexuality, um, race, and that kind of thing. And so as a result of that, it, it, it was just, it turned into a sideshow. Especially coming on the heels earlier this year of this scene down at the Lincoln Memorial yes. where you know, these Covington high school students were accused of a, you know, a protest right. or, or, or that they were somehow uh, mocking this gentleman who was Native yeah. American, where right. it turned out a fuller view of the encounter, um, uh, you know, proved that a lot of those early assessments of what that was wasn't was not. quite what people said it was. No. So, is there a learning opportunity in this for people? Yeah, there is. And, it, you know, we are supposed to be a country of innocent until proven guilty. It seems to me that we're getting away from that. It seems to me, and, and as much as people criticize the president for using fake news, the term fake news, in fact, a lot of news now is fake, um, in large part because you're, you're talking about people with video camera, you're talking about, and so there's one angle that's being shot. And then there's been some conversation in tw on Twitter um, by n not just Twitter, but a lot of the social media platforms mm -hmm. that the MAGA hat um, is the new KKK hood. Give me a break. I mean, you know, it's that kind of thing. So people really need to pull back and say, what r really, what are you saying? What are the facts? And we may not agree politically, mm -hmm. but what can we agree on? Well, and also if you're going to be in a position where you're trying to get people not to judge one another based on, you know, to paraphrase right. Dr. King here, not uh, on the color of your skin, but the content of your character. Correct. Stopping your assessment of somebody just by what baseball hat they're wearing yeah. is not really in the, the vein of the spirit of Correct. perhaps what Dr. King yes. was assessing. Oh boy, there was so much more I wanted to get to, but um, could you come back at some oh, point? Absolutely, I'd be happy to do that. All right. Christopher Mettler, he is, the, uh, Metzler, he is the author of Divided We Stand, The Quest for America's Soul. He joined us on the Hill today. Christopher, thank you so much. My pleasure. We thank you as well for joining us from the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. This is On the Hill. We'll see you soon.